with sin, we're going to start moving on to victory. But we're going to do a little review because you guys know I love a good review. Nothing like it. Joshua chapter 7. Last week, what we did is we talked about sin, uh, sin exposed. Before that, we talked about sin confessed. And as we worked through last week's sin exposed, we looked at four different points. Four. Uh, four. Uh, sin exposed. What we saw is, first of all, that God really focused, or Joshua focused, on sending messengers. And we looked at that and we were like, okay, messengers, why? And we sort of postulated why he chose to send messengers and the fact that you and I are to be messengers of the gospel. We're supposed to be messengers that deliver the good news, the word of God, to humanity. And in doing so, what happens when we deliver the word is, well, sin is exposed. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 says this, Now we know that uh, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. They recognize their sin. Verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The reason why we understand that we have sin in our lives is because God established the law of what's right and what's wrong, and in knowing that we recognize the fact that we have fallen short, we recognize our need of us of a Savior. So then we shifted from who exposed the sin. We talked about how they exposed it. And what was interesting was we took note of the fact that those messengers, when they responded in chapter 7, verse 22, it says that they ran in response to the command of Joshua. They ran. And it caused us to think, okay, why did they run? Well, what does that reflect to them? Is it shows us that there was great reverence for Joshua. There was reverence for what he asked them to do. And the response out of their reverence and the, real, the realization of how important it was was the fact that they ran. And we asked ourselves the question, when our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, asks us to do something, when he gives us a command, how do we respond? Do we run to do the work of God? Or do we only run to do our will? So many times, we have this selfish mentality that unfortunately infects many of us. Then we looked from what, and we looked from who to how, then we looked at where. Where they found the sin. Where did Achan hide it? Right in the heart of his own home. Right in the heart of his home. With no concern of what it was going to mean for his family. Last week, we considered the fact that there are countless parents that have chosen to hide sin in their homes, even as we speak. Jealousy, wrath, selfishness, anger, laziness, judgment, infidelity, whatever it may be. But they've hidden it in their home thinking, you know what? It's going to be okay. I'm not necessarily worried about the danger it's going to mean to my family because you know what? It'll be okay. No one's going to find out. But then we reminded ourselves of that principle in the scripture, which is the sowing and reaping. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, the Bible says. And we think about that right before that. God says this, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He says, listen, if you believe you're the one that's going to miss that, if you think you're the one that's going to skip out on the aspect of what you sow, you're going to also reap, you're, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. Listen, you and I, we will not be the ones that's going to miss that principle. That principle is going to show up in our life. So what we sow, we're going to reap. Reap good, get good, reap evil. Guess what? Reap evil. So then we move from what then we talked about what they did with it. What did they do with it? Well, what they did was they brought it to the surface. They brought it to the surface. They exposed it to the people that had been infected by the sin of Achan, but then also they exposed it or brought it before the Lord. And ultimately, we recognize the fact that this is really the only way to deal with it, is to humbly bring that sin before the Lord in an attitude of repentance. And what we know with Achan is that he will not do that. He does not come before the Lord in repentance. He does not come brokenhearted. And because of that, he will face the full consequences of his sin. Not only him, but his family as well. So we've heard sin confessed. Then we've seen sin exposed. 
Well, now the Israelites stand united with God and with Joshua. And what they're going to happen is they're going to deal with the treacherous sin of Achan. They're going to deal with it once and for all. So this morning, as we gather with, with Joshua and the Israelites, what we're going to see is four different things. We're going to see that they're unified in their purpose. They're going to be authorized in their objective. They're going to be united in their execution. And they're going to be restored unto God in the message this morning, which will close out chapter 7 with sin atoned. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for the life you've given us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, the spirit that dwells within us as believers. Lord, I do pray, Father, for us as, uh, Lord, if we have Christ and if we have been born again, Lord, that you'll help us to have ears to hear the truth. Uh, Lord, deal with our hearts and show us and expose to us what it is that we need to understand. Help us to, Lord, not only hear it, but Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. And Lord, for those today that maybe don't have Christ, maybe you've been religious all your life, maybe you've uh, trusted uh, in your knowledge of God, but never given him your heart. And Lord, I do pray for those that are maybe watching us online that have never done it. Lord, I pray that you'd grip their hearts and help them to see their lost condition, help them recognize their need of that personal relationship with you. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I pray that you'll work through me today. God, help me to disappear. Remove the human element from this message that you might be spoken uh, clearly to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you guys all with me this morning? You guys seem very, very either super concentrating or right on the verge of going to sleep. I'm not sure which one that is. We'll find out, I guess, momentarily. All right, so... Verse number 24 through 26. It says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Now, we see that Achan's sentence is about to be carried out. Now, remember that the, the, the sentence was established, the penalty was established by God, not by the people. Back in Joshua seven fifteen, God said this, And it shall be that he that is taken of the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. And he that all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Okay, So God told us, God told us and God told the Israelites that during this time, he told them that, that, that uh, penalty. Remember, he gave that to them during the time of sanctification. When he warned them to get right with God, he said, here's your opportunity. You have an opportunity now to go make things right with me, to restore your fellowship which has been broken. Here's your chance. But what we know is that Achan and his family will not do it. They allow that window to close. And because of that, they are going to pay the penalty with their lives. So Joshua and the Israelites, acting as instruments of God, are now, we're going to see them unified in their purpose. Verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen, and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and brought them unto the valley of Achor. We see here a unified body of believers. They're all standing with Joshua, okay? This is an important principle to understand. There are no Achan contingents. There are no people going out and being, uh, oh, you know, hey, but Achan's a good guy. I've known him all my life. There's nobody there standing up for his family, in fact. There's no petitions for anyone. Keep in mind, his relatives would be in this crowd. It says that all Israel... These folks, many of them, are very deeply related. He's got brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins in this group. But yet no one says, no one says a word because listen, Achan's guilt is agreed upon by everyone. Those that love him are going, you know what? He was wrong. 
He was absolutely wrong. They were warned about this before they ever got to Jericho. Remember, this is what God told them in Joshua 6.18. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Man. And you know what that trouble translated into? 36 families losing a loved one. Maybe a father. Maybe a son. Maybe a brother. Right? Maybe a child. So we see 36 families lost someone they loved. The Israelites. They were separated from the promise of God for victory. God took His hand of blessing off of the entire nation because of this sin. So we see here is the fact they now stand united against this rebellious affront against the Lord. They're going, hey, you know what? This is what must happen. They're going to confront Achan and his family. Verse 24, And they took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And as I read that list, it made me think. It's interesting because, you know, God always does things for a reason. There's always a purpose in every single detail. A lot of times people look at the genealogies and they're like, oh, skip that bad boy. Woo, he begot him and who Right? We have a tendency to do that. But guess what? Even in the genealogies, God has an amazing message in the genealogies. And even in this list, if you'll pay attention, what this is, it's listed in the order of what's important to Achan. Pay attention. It's in a descending order. Listen, the very first thing that's listed, the silver, the garment, and the wedge of gold, his idols. These forbidden treasures are the very first thing listed. Literally, these are taken from Jericho. These are treasures of the world. Jericho is a picture, a biblical picture of the world in Scripture. Now, last week, right, we realized the fact that he risked everything he had and all that he loved in order to, to get them. And what we realized is the fact that, you know what, ultimately he served them. He served them in place of God. He placed them above God. He literally placed their worth above God's worth. And there's interesting is the etymology of the word worship is worth-ship. Worth-ship. That means that something that we place of value. So what we saw is the fact that he placed these things value over his relationship with God, over everything in his family. He worshipped his idols. Then he shifts over to his family. Man, it's quiet in here. Makes me feel weird, but it's really quiet. I guess the air conditioning turned off. I'm like making me a little uncomfortable. I feel like they're going to attack me or something. Um, then we see that he values his family. This is interesting. Notice that again, this is, this is in a descending order. So first we got the idols. Then we see his sons and his daughters. Now, Achan displayed for us that, you know what, his family, they were not that valuable. They were not more valuable than he was, and they're certainly not as valuable as these treasures, but his offspring. You know why they're valuable to him? Because guess what they do? They carry his bloodline, and they carry his name. Again, what's important to Achan is Achan, right? Then we get here. Look at the next thing. And his oxen and his asses and his sheep. Well, these guys were Israelites. These, or these Israelites were herdsmen. So this is his work. This is his, his, his work, but also kind of his personal possessions, kind of like his work truck and things of that nature, right? So it says here, so he points us to his lifestyle, which is then his tent and all that he had. So his home and all of his, all of his stuff. So we see this descending order of Achan's priorities. First his idols, then his children, then his work, then his lifestyle. But you'll notice that, first of all, where's God? Right? Where's God? And then where's his wife? Did you notice that? Just sons and daughters, but no wife. I'm like, hello. There's a problem there, okay? Because recognize our top priority is supposed to be God. And if you're married, guess what? The next priority is your spouse. So he's all jacked up. His, his order is completely messed up. And this, what's sad is the fact that this order of importance is not far off from a lot of homes in our world. 
where, guess what? There is no place for God. Or there is a place for God, but it's only as an insurance policy. Just in case of calamity, we know what we got to do. Break the glass. Get God. Right? And it's this mindset of going, you know what? Hey, it's always good to stay on the, on the good side of God. Because kids, you know what? You never know when you're going to need Him. That's why we go to church. Right? I'm telling you, I'm not speaking something that's crazy because I'm telling you, a lot of people have the mindset of, you know what? I'm just going to do enough to keep on God's good side because when I need Him, I want Him to come through for me. Because recognize the mindset is this, God serves us. God serves us. And this is polluted view that's gone all across this nation and shifted the way people see things. So we recognize the desire is the fact that what we're supposed to be is we're supposed to see God for who He is, our Creator, right? Our Savior, and our Lord. He's supposed to be on the, the throne of our life. Christ should be sitting there. But the world tells us that we're to take the throne of our life, that we're the master of our own domain. We're in charge. And it's this mindset, this, this skewed mindset, that we sort of think that God serves us. But I can let me just break it to you. We don't. We, we serve God. We don't, he doesn't serve us. We must never find ourselves in a place where we're going, you know what, God is just there for me. It's that egocentric mindset that causes people to have such a difficult time putting Him first. Because we don't tend to put our servants above ourselves. And if you believe that God serves you, guess what? Many times we put ourselves here. And guess what? If I need something, I'll get in touch with you. Not a matter of adapting our life to meet what God wants, but adapting God to meet what, what we want. And it's not that we don't know this, because the Lord tells us, tells us himself in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. He says this through 40. Jesus said unto them, Unto him thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. I am to be your top priority, okay? Then this, and the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He's telling you, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to put other people in front of yourself. Ugh! What? That sounds crazy. You mean when I walk up to a line, I shouldn't be like, get to the front of this bad boy? We're supposed to be like, no, go ahead. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. You see somebody who's just trying to slip in the door instead of going, yep, thank you. What if you caught the door and said, you know what, let me hold that for you. These are silly little things, but guess what? The problem is because we're so self-driven in little things, it infiltrates all of our life. We're very, very selfish by nature. What do you tell him in Matthew 6.33? He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. So listen, there's an acronym that you probably heard if you were a little kid in church. Joy. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. You're supposed to be last. And we're like, what? It doesn't match the model that the world has for us. But what did Jesus teach us in Mark 8, 34? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Amen. Deny yourself. Listen, we're supposed to be the last priority in our life. That's why we talk about in a husband and wife relationship. Our spouse should be above us. My desires, my wants are secondary to what she wants. Right. I'm t- my whole life is about trying to help her to be the best woman she can be for the cause of Christ. Amen. And guess what her job is? To help me to be the best man that I possibly can be for the cause of Christ. And if you place the other person's priority above himself, you never start going, what about me? What about me? Because you know what you're thinking? What about her? 
And she's thinking, what about him? It's a matter of priority, and if we'll do it God's way, you'd be amazed how it works out. But now we find them here, putting ourselves last, that's the idea. But now they gather Achan and his family and all of his stuff, and verse 24 says, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. Now, Achor is an interesting word because Achor actually translates trouble. Trouble or tribulation. We could transfer it that way. So literally meaning, this is a valley of trouble. Okay? Now, I don't know about you guys. In our lives, we have plenty of mountaintop moments where things are going great. Man, things are just sky high. Everything's going our way. We get the promotion. You know, we get the girl. We get the house. Life is good. Our car's running great. The washer hasn't broken. Life is just rolling on, man. We're on the top of the mountain. And you know what happens in those moments? We're not very dependent upon God. We have a tendency in those moments to sort of pull back. And in doing so, we start to depend upon ourselves instead of depending upon, depending upon God. So what inevitably happens is that we'll slip off of the mountain and we'll head into a valley of, of trouble. And when we find ourselves in a valley of trouble, guess what happens? We tend to shift the way we think. Suddenly, we start to have a, an ear for God. We start going to the Word like we weren't before. We start praying like we never were before. Because you know what? I really, I need the Lord now. Time to break the glass. We're in a valley. Let's get to it. And guess what? That's exactly what we see them doing. In this moment, what's happening is they've come out of this place where they were humbled by this defeat from doing it their way. And now in the Valley of Achor, they're ready to do it God's way. It's all about fulfilling God's will. And now Joshua reminds us of something here as he shows us they're authorized they're authorized in their objective. Notice this, verse 25. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. Joshua starts out with a question that points to the fact that, Joshua, that Achan's choice, his unauthorized, his rebellious choice, his sinful choice, has forced his own people, people that were innocent, to carry out his punishment. His people, people that, people that are in this group, love Achan. People in this group love Achan their grandchildren. They love their family. None of them want to kill one of their own. None of them, I can promise you, want to kill a family. That's certainly not the desire of their hearts. And yet, because of his choice, his actions, Achan is forcing them to do so. Thus displaying for us a negative, another negative or awful aspect of hidden sin. Because you know what it does? It causes the innocent to have to deal with the godless behavior of those that oppose God. It's forcing them to be involved. Those that are living in submission to God now have to turn around and deal with sinful, rebellious behavior to protect the body. 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. You know what 1 Corinthians are written for? It's all about dealing with sin that has incorporated its way into the church. Paul's trying to redirect them and get them back on course. When we go to Matthew chapter number 18, guess what Matthew 18 is all about? Matthew 18 is all about discipline. It's about addressing the issues of sin in people's lives. And what happens is God, as He works His way through it, first, sure enough, He starts off with the individual. He says, hey, look, if you've got a problem with somebody, go to them one-on-one. He tells us specifically how to deal with it. Then He gets all the way down to the church, and He talks about how the church should deal with those that are unrepentant. And interestingly enough, when we get to verse number 18 and 20, this is how He kind of closes out this principle on church discipline. Verse 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What this is telling us is, guess what? As long as the church is following biblical guidelines, you're allowing the Word of God to guide you. This is not about emotions. This is not about human reasoning. This is the Word of God. You have the authority, guess what? 
to bind things, meaning you can punish on earth. And guess what? You can also forgive. You can loose. He's saying, listen, you have an opportunity here to stand and do what I tell you to do. You're authorized by me because guess what? You're doing it according to my will. Verse number 19, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So God grants the church the authority to pass judgment upon people. There he's blessing it. He's saying, listen, because understand, contextually, you need to know what we're talking about. This whole thing is about church discipline. The next verse, listen to this verse. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Okay? We talk about praying in Jesus' name. What that means is you're praying according to God's will. He's saying, listen, if you're going to bring discipline according to my will and what I would do, then guess what? I authorize you to do so. Right. Now, what you'll have people say is like two or three people gather in a group and people go, you know, two or three gather together. Well, Jesus is in the midst, man. This is not a seance, okay? <laughs> We're not holding hands and going, Kumbaya, my Lord, and all of a sudden he's like, Wah. It's not what this is. Because guess what? If you're on a mountaintop by yourself, guess who's there? The Lord, right? That's not what this is referencing. This is all about saying, look, I put my stamp, my agreement that what you're doing is approved of God. You're authorized to make this decision. And this is what's happening with them. Because guess what? They don't want to do this. But they are authorized to take this action against their brother, to pass judgment on, upon him. And listen, it's all because Achan just wouldn't listen to God. That's the reason why we're in the situation. That's why they're where they're at. As we mentioned before, remember, God simply warned them. He said, look, everything at, a at Jericho, it's off limits. Don't touch it. But if you'll just wait. He didn't tell them this. He's waiting for them to be faithful. God didn't say, and then if you're late, guess what? Everything after that's going to be for you guys to have. He didn't tell them that. But he's simply saying, will you trust and listen to what I tell you to do? Nothing in Jericho is for you. Do not touch. Now, if Achan had only waited, after that, guess what God was going to say? Hey, guess what? From here on out, load up, boys. It's all for you. But the first, the tithe, guess what? It's for me. Learn to serve me first before you serve yourselves. Again, it's about priority, right? So here we had this situation. And so it has, they've gone forward. What's cool about it is the fact that, see, if, you, if, if Achan really knew who God was, he would recognize the fact that God makes provision. God makes provision for his people. He absolutely does. And you know what's always interesting? Is he does it in his time. When it's right for us. See, Achan, if he'd have waited, he'd have learned to trust God. But he didn't trust God, and it ends up in his destruction. And we look at God's timing. Psalm 27, 14, it says this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord. Keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off and shall see it. Proverbs 20, 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Do it God's way. See, the problem that Achan has is the fact that he would not wait. And we're just like Achan so many times. We think we already know how the provision should come and when it should come. I've been praying about this promotion. You know what? It should come. This should be my job. I guarantee you, I've prayed about it. And I know God knows that this should be the job I'm supposed to get. But you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Or sometimes we press things. We push on through because we decided we already know better than he does. 
How many of us have ever stepped outside of the boundaries that God establishes to try to accomplish what we wanted? How's it work out? Not so good. Not so good. Because guess what? God knows what's best. And the selfish thinking that runs through our minds in moments like that is, we know what's best for us. But the question is, do we really? Do we really? God knows. Unfortunately, man, for most of us, life is filled with a series of regrets. We can look back on the choices that we made at different stages in our life and say, man, if I could go back, if I could go back, I sure would have done it so much different. And listen, if that's not your story and you've been following the Lord, then man, just keep your head down and keep following Him. Do the right thing. But for the rest of us, it's time we stop putting so much confidence in ourselves. And put confidence in the Lord and say, God, you know what? You guide my steps. He tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 8, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Listen to this next part. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Don't trust yourself. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Allowing the Lord to lead keeps us out of the valley of trouble that awaits us is guess what we're all trying we're all on the journey to our spiritual promised land if you're a born again child of God man you're there you're getting an opportunity to come out of the wilderness and go into that promised land with God to walk in fellowship with him to walk in peace with God you're right there but again the same barrier that kept is keeping them out that's keeping them from attaining it is the very same barrier that stops us it's this sin issue and though Joshua, listen, he questions this. And when he questions, when he throws out this question, what he's basically saying is that this tribulation that we're coming through is all a result of bad choices. It's all a result of bad choices. And can I tell you, man, that's not just true for Achan. When we find ourselves in trouble, it's because of bad choices. We did not follow God. But what happens with bad choices is, guess what? They have consequences. And so what happens now? Joshua's reminding Achan of the consequences. And here they come, verse 25. The Lord shall trouble thee this day. Okay? So trouble, yeah, for sure, trouble is right now. It's coming. Achan is about to face death at the hands of his countrymen. And what's so interesting here, this, in this moment of biblical uh, discipline, what's happening is they're functioning, the people, as an extension of God. They are bringing the punishment that God authorized them to do so. It's not under their authority that they're doing it. They're doing it under God's authority. And when we implement church discipline in this church, if we have to, that's the same thing. We're doing it based upon the fact that we have the authority of God to do so, established and assigned by the Word of God. Next, let's consider how Joshua and the Israelites are united in their execution. Okay, verse 25. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. Are you sure you guys are okay? Y'all are very, very, very quiet and very stoic. Let's all just loosen up for a second. Just shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. I I feel like I'm pounding you guys to pieces and you're all just like, oh, stop. I'm really not, I promise. This is going to finish good, I promise. We're wrapping this thing up. Aiken's, this is his last day. Well, literally. Um, So, just imagine how hard this would have been, right, for those that were close to Achan. They are literally taking stones in hand, and they're going to stone them to death. Then they're going to pile their bodies and everything they have together, and they're going to to burn them. 
But keep in mind, right is right and wrong is wrong. This was not done at their discretion. They didn't just decide, you know what, this is what we're going to do to take care of this. This whole thing was up to God. The Lord's expectation of them is that they would simply be faithful to accomplish His will, despite their own thoughts on the matter, despite what they wanted, despite what they thought would have been right. They were called to be faithful to accomplish His will. And even though it was not pleasant, and maybe it was just downright hard, they were to do it anyway. And can I tell you, when you will stand for what's right, maybe against people that you love, people that care about you, it is not easy. It is not easy. It can be downright hard. It can be challenging to, to stand on something that maybe is not popular. But see, right is always right. And wrong is always wrong. We do it anyway. We do what's right because in the end, it only matters if God is pleased. 1 Peter 3, verses 16 and 17. Having a good conscience. This is an encouragement to us. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers. Okay? People are running you down. They're running down your reputation. They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You're trying to live for the Lord and people are calling you something. They're calling you a hater or they're calling you intolerant or they're calling you whatever it is. Verse 17. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. If you do the right thing and you suffer for it, listen, man, God is pleased. And that's all that matters, remember? Keep in mind who it is we serve, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Right? If God's pleased, it does not matter what anybody else thinks. The Israelites perform this horrific task of stoning and burning this family. They do this. And can I tell you that they're not happy in doing so. But their job is to fulfill and do God's will. And what's amazing is even in this, what is incredible is God still displays mercy. And I know you go, what? But check this out, okay? Now, did you notice then God's instructions? There's no mention of stoning. No. Stoning is a very quick death. You're knocked unconscious or you're killed almost instantly. Burning? That's a much more horrific, painful, drawn-out way to die. Remember Joshua 7.15, this is what God said, And it shall be that he that is taken to the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed, transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So literally, God is being merciful in the fact that he says, You know what? I know you guys just can't imagine just burning them alive. And if you need to stone them to death before you do this horrific thing, then you know what? That's okay. You do that. So he's literally being merciful to Achan and his family as well as being merciful to those that are having to carry out this judgment. Then take note to how verse number 26 opens up. It says, And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. End of this day. So in the valley of Achor, they created a memorial. Okay? They piled these stones up. Now, obviously not to honor the man that Achan was. Oh, great Achan was here. No. This is in remembrance of the regrettable choice that he made. A reminder of why this valley is a valley of trouble. And this memorial, memorial, what will it do? It will stand as a reminder. A reminder of the failure of man and the accountability of man to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can look back in my life, into my valleys, 
and I can see reminders of my own failure to honor God. I can look back and see stone piles in my achens or my acres. I can look back and see my failures and I can be reminded of the fact that I failed God and I can be reminded of my accountability to God. But you know what it also reminds me of? The mercy of God because I'm no longer in that valley. See, the solution to hidden sin, man, is learning how to deal with it. You just got to deal with it. Do what's right. And then you can move forward. And the last step, the last point is number four. We can see them restored unto God. Verse 26. So the Lord turned from his fierce, from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. And it's here in the midst of the Valley of Trouble of the valley of tribulation that God's people, right? They would be restored in their relationship with Him. This is where it takes place, in this very place, in this place that's going to harbor all kinds of sadness and all kinds of regrettable memories when they look at those stones. But what we're going to find is this is where the whole thing starts to shift. We're going to come out of this issue where chapter 7 has been about struggle, 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 struggle. Guess what chapter 8 starts with? Victory. Victory. We come out of the, of the sadness and the brokenness to victory. There's the shift from defeat and broken to a people that are victorious, who are filled with hope as they move forward. Amen. And what we find is the fact that, listen, God, it, it, what's awesome, I'm going to show you something. This is really cool. This is really, really cool. In the book of Hosea, God's going to show us something really, really neat. Okay, now just if you don't know who Hosea is, okay, one of the minor prophets, the Bible calls it, when we, we list somebody as a minor prophet, it's not because they're not important, it's just simply because the book is really small. Okay? So Hosea, what's interesting about Hosea, Hosea was a prophet that God told that he was supposed to marry a woman, a woman who was an unfaithful woman. The Bible calls her a whore. So this woman was unfaithful, and his job was to love her and to take, him, take her as his, as his own. So it's a tragic story for Hosea, who would be faithful to his wife no matter what. He was faithful, and he loved her, and he cared for her, and he begged her not to go. But for whatever reason, she kept winding up in the arms of other men. And what's interesting about the book of Hosea is Hosea pictures something else for us. Remember, the Old Testament's a picture book. And guess what Hosea pictures for us? A faithful husband who has an unfaithful bride. It's a picture of God's relationship with humanity. Because guess what? For whatever reason, we just can't keep ourselves out of the arms of the world. Right? And we see this amazing picture. But what's interesting is as, as God wants to restore that relationship, and understand, for, for us, it will not be to the second coming. It will not be until then that will be truly a reconciliation. But on that road to reconciliation... Well, listen to what Hosea says about his unfaithful wife. Listen to this. Hosea 2.15. And I will give her vineyards from thence. And look. And the valley of Achor, listen to what it says, for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. She's going to be restored in the valley of trouble, but for her it's becoming a valley, it becomes a door of hope, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. She will be justified out of the struggle, brought through the valley of Achor, 
through tribulation, through restoration. Man, it's the whole key that we find this restoration through tribulation. It's an amazing thing that we look at. And what's interestingly enough is the fact that though we all remember our valleys, and we remember going through our valleys. What's amazing is until, until God intervened and He went with us and brought us out of it. What's so cool is when we were in that valley, you know what the Bible tells us in Psalm 23, 4, what Jesus says and what the Lord says? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David tells us this, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Even when I'm in my valley, mm-hmm. you're with me, Lord. You're there right along my side. And as we've gone through our valley of tribulation, we realize that, guess what? God is faithful even when we aren't. And we realize that, you know what? If we'll just hold on to Him by faith when we're in the darkness, that He will travel with us through that valley and He will bring us into the light. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter number 5. Notice this. Romans 3 verse 5 verse 3 through 6. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Just imagine a valley of Acor, Right? But we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. What did Hosea say about that valley of Achor? That it would be a door of hope. Amen. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Notice verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength... When we were broken and we could not do anything else, we were helpless and hopeless. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He atoned for the sin of humanity. As a faithful husband to an unfaithful bride, He lovingly drew us to Him. Out of filth, out of rebellion, out of sin, He drew us. And not only did He forgive us, but He justified us. Renewing our hearts, right? And bringing us from a dead soul to a living soul. Making us sons and daughters of God. And if you're saved today, if you know you've got a relationship with Christ, praise the Lord. Live for His glory. You're only given a limited amount of time to do so. Live it for His glory. And listen, if you're not, you don't have a relationship with Him. It's not because He doesn't want one with you. If you're watching this online and you said, I don't have a relationship with Christ, let me tell you, He wants one with you. And you may think that He doesn't love you, but He does love you more than you ever understood what love could be. Amen. See, the Israelites trusted God in the midst of the sin, and they dealt with it. They went right where they had to, and they did what they had to do in order to deal with it. And listen, for them, Acor. It's going to be one of two things. Acor is either a place which is a memorial of sin and death that leaves us hopeless, or Acor is a or Acor is a doorway to hope through the atoning work of Christ. Look at the beautiful picture. One leads to defeat, while the other promises victory. The question is, which one will we choose? God doesn't pick. We do. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the incredible things you've shown us through the book of Joshua so far. Thank you for what we've learned from Achan's uh, horrific choices. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what we need to do in our own lives. And Lord, I do pray for us. If someone has come through the valley, help them have the perspective to know, to look back and give God glory for bringing them through. Lord, help them to be dependent upon him when they end up on the mountaintop. And for those that maybe perhaps today, maybe they're in the valley as we speak. Maybe today they're struggling with hopelessness. They feel overwhelmed and broken. If you're a child of God, let me just tell you, he's with you in the valley. There's a purpose to the valley. And he will build you and grow you and he will bring you out. If you're here today and you say, look, Pastor, I, I don't know where I stand. Right now, my life's a mess. It's a shambles. There's a chance someone here today is dealing with something really, really hard. And you know what? Maybe none of us in this room can understand what you're going through. But can I promise you that God does? Can I promise you He does? If you're here today and you feel like the weight of the world is resting on your shoulders, the Bible tells us Jesus, He said, we're to cast our care upon Him for He careth for us. Give it to God. Give it to God. Let Him get you through this valley. Because I can promise you there's a purpose to it. You may not see it today. You may not understand it, but one day you'll look back at that pile of stones and you'll say, I see what God did mercifully bringing me through and teaching me what I needed to know. If you're here today and you say, look, I don't know Christ. Listen, I don't know what you're stand, where you stand. I have no idea where your heart is with God. You could have been church your entire life and still be just as lost and as, as a goose in a snowstorm. Believing that your religiosity or your belief in God is what saves you. And it is not that. It is a matter of surrendering one's heart to the glorious heart of God. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Unless you understand that you are a sinner and that that sin has a consequence. And there's an atoning work that was done on a cross. And unless you trust in Christ with your whole heart, you will pay that price. But if you by choice and by faith are willing to call out to him, he'll pay the price for you. So their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, I don't know if I'm saved, but I want to be. Listen, it's not a magic prayer. There's no ceremony involved. This is a matter of your heart reaching out to the Savior. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. If you're already saved, pray for those that are not. But if you're not saved and you want to be, you're watching this recorded and this is 10 years old. God's calling you, I'm telling you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, you can repeat after me. Again, it's not the words. God's listening to your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I understand that there are consequences for my sin. That I stand at the brink. And God, you made a choice to die on a cross for my sin. By faith, I'm trusting in you. By faith, I'm giving you my heart. I'm asking you to save my soul. To turn my life into one of godliness and help me to live for your glory. I thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.